Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and this week in production, I'm talking with Darren Bailey. This week in production is produced by Art Aldridge. The thoughts and opinions expressed here are undoubtedly his own. You can reach Art at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. You can also record a message for Art by calling 601564-TWIP. That's 601564-8947. Welcome, Darren. Thanks, Art. This is your first appearance on This Week in Production. Why don't you give us your your short bio so everyone knows who you are and what you do. Well, I'm a videographer. I'm based out of uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I spent 20 years in the television news business, and you know I wasn't getting any younger and kind of wanted to do my own thing. So I jumped out of the TV news business to freelance. And so now I freelance, I have a handful of clients, I travel the country, I'm a storyteller with a camera. What kind of stories are you telling these days? Like, is it all um, industrial corporate stuff? Or is it, you know, human interest or a little bit of anything? Um, corporate side, just storytelling about businesses, um, storytelling for companies. I have um, one company, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is one of my clients. They have a newsroom, so we travel the world and tell stories for them and follow their leaders. Uh, Scripps Corporation, is, uh, they own 60 TV stations throughout the country. I do a lot of stuff for them and their national desk. It's all basically kind of news storytelling with interviews and B-roll and you know things you'd see on, on the television. What does your camera package, your travel equipment package look like? I have the Sony FS7 Mark II. Um, I have a Sony, uh, which probably gives you a heart attack because you're kind of a Panasonic guy, which, you know, I've, I've tried to get you to go to Sony. but I, I haven't used Sony in quite a long time, but I will say that I've recently purchased some Blackmagic uh, Pocket 6K Pro cameras. I've been using them for mostly uh, time lapse and, and some B-roll stuff, but um, that may be my new, like, small camera to uh to start experimenting with as far as interviews go so my camera package is that fs7 and i have a sony uh, a7s3 which i absolutely love i pack a mavic uh pro 2 drone with me all over and um you know your miller tripod sackler head type setup um sony wireless microphones i have a sennheiser mic and then i uh, ME 66 shotgun. You got to have one of those. Um, and, uh, and it's great. I'm kind of set up as a news photographer. And are you like a one man wrecking crew or are you traveling with a larger production crew? It depends on the client, but, um, 90% of the time I'm a one man wrecking crew. So we've done some jobs together. We, we have a little bit of a working relationship and, uh, I see you on Facebook and you posted something about your last job that, made me think, oh, that would be a good story. So if you could, without giving away any, you know, names or specifics that would, you know, incriminate you, um, why don't you tell us about your most recent uh, overseas excursion? 
So my last overseas excursion was uh, just last week, and I went to Cairo, Egypt. And um, it was a trip to Cairo, and then we dropped down to um, Iraq. And it's just humanitarian stuff, just telling stories about humanitarian work. And we get to um, Amsterdam, everything's good. I get to Cairo, and my my suitcase and my none of my gear show up. I pack on the plane with me my FS7 in a camera bag and all the batteries, and I have my batteries for my drone because, you know, everything is – is uh, you, you, you have to have your batteries on the, you know, in, in with you. Right. And, um, and so I do that and then we get to Cairo and my suitcase and none of my gear shows up, no tripod, no drone, no, no microphones, no, you know, quick run bag, nothing. And they didn't know where it went. Egypt air was like, yeah, we have no, we, we have no idea where your, where your luggage is. And so, we went back the next day, which just, this blows me away how an airline can straight up lose your luggage and have no idea where it is. Um, so we show back up the next day at eight o'clock at night, thinking that maybe the next plane, you know, that comes in will have our stuff. Well, our luggage shows up and Egypt Air is like, oh, here's your luggage. We're like, great. Can we have it? And they're like, nope, it'll, you can get it tomorrow between 10 and one. Well, it, now that's day three. Like when you go on production, like you, sometimes you hit the ground running, sometimes even the day that you get to the country or, or to the spot. And so now we're hitting day three, which now I've been in the same pair of underwear now going on three days, right? And um, I'd really love my clothes, but now we have to come back. Well, I think they wanted us to pay money. And me being a dumb American, I didn't take a ton of money with me, you know, because I was running off credit cards because I'm working for a client because I want to track it all on my credit cards and they're not going to take my American Express. So next time I am learning that I need to probably take a thousand dollars with me to where I can just start paying off customs agents. And how much, how many customs agents can you pay off before you get thrown in jail for bribery or for paying off customs agents? I don't know. <laughs> so, so when you, we're uh, in the planning stages of this uh, trip, and I don't know how much lead time you had, you know, to prepare. But like, did you look into restrictions and logistics? Like, did you need um, visas, special visas, or anything like that to to get in? So the visas you buy. Um, when I went to Russia, it was a really big deal for a visa because we had to buy the visa like three months out and I had to send the passport to Russia and it was a big deal and get the passport back. And so it was a whole big planning process to go to Egypt. You know, the, uh, the client called me four days before and said, Hey, you want to go to Egypt? And sure. And then you get the uh, visa at the airport. When you walk in the door, it's $75 at a counter. Um, Iraq was like $25, I think, at a counter, um, or they just make up the price based on the day, right? And um, and so pre-planning, I looked at Google, did some drone searches. It said that the drone was illegal, that I can't fly it in Egypt, but I could fly it in Iraq. I wasn't taking it to fly in Egypt. I was taking it to fly it in Iraq. But you can't even take a drone into the country, period. They take it away from you. You'll get it back, but they make this whole big two, three hour ordeal about taking it away and, and that you have a bomb, you know, because they think it's a flying bomb and um, and they don't want it, period, in the country. So they so tend to knew, go ballistic. You, need, you knew that going in, though? 
I knew that going into Egypt that I couldn't fly it, but I didn't know that I couldn't take it into the country. I just thought that I'd take it into the country and it would sit in my bag at the hotel and I wasn't going to fly it, but then I could pack it up and take it to, take it to, uh, to Iraq with me and, and, and Iraq, it was fine. Okay. So you're in Egypt, you don't have anything except your FS seven and whatever you carried on. And you're now three days into the job. I don't, I don't know how long you're supposed to be there, but like, is there, is there a crisis with the producer? Are there people freaking out? Like, what are you doing at this point to, to save the job, so to speak? So the producer knows because he doesn't get his clothes either. So he's kind of in a world of hurt too because, you know, he didn't get his luggage, so he gets it. Um, and I'm a news guy. I had a GoPro, or I didn't, I'm sorry, my GoPro was in my bag, but I had, um, I can shoot handheld. And I have enough stuff to shoot handheld and pull it off. So I pulled off the first shoot just handheld with my FS7. It's a shoulder camera. It's, you know, shoulder rigged. And I'm pretty good handheld because I've shot 20 years of TV news handheld. So I pull off the first day. And then the second day, we pretty much sat at the airport waiting for our stuff. The second and third day. Um, First day, we didn't shoot. The second day is when I went handheld. The third day is when we finally got all of our stuff. Um, once we got all our stuff, we're there five days shooting. We have a still photographer out who has an iPhone, iPhone 13 plus is what he has. And so he shot a lot of B-roll for me at the pyramids with his iPhone 13 plus, which is a fantastic camera, by the way, look great. Um, when, once I got my stuff in Egypt, even the hotels, they don't want your professional camera even in the hotel. So they run it through scanners, just like at the airport. There's scanners in front of every door, at every museum, at every everything. There's these police called the Tourism and Antiquity Security Guards. And they pretty much, they're government. It's government-ran security. Government runs all these other countries. And when you're standing on the, on a street shooting camels running by you, cops will come out and tell you you can't shoot those even though you're standing on a street here in the united states we can stand on any street any public space anywhere we want shoot anything we want and nobody says a word because we're in the public any other country you can't do that you have to abide by their rules or i don't know they take you away but they tell you you can't shoot that so i ended up shooting the second story on the still photographers iPhone 13 plus and my GoPro nine because the authorities didn't think that was anything to be concerned about. Right. Yeah. So my GoPro nine shoots cinematic, you know, it's a GoPro. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's 4k. It shoots in, in cinematic mode. And, and I walked around downtown with my little GoPro and, um, got everything. And, you know, you gotta, your wise and tight doesn't zoom. So you have to zoom with your feet. You got to get close to stuff. You got to, you know, think how you're going to edit it. It's not shooting like a normal camera. You got to walk and you got to shoot tight shots. But, you know, you can zoom in a little bit with 4K. It's it's beautiful. So it worked out. Um, and I just kept my big camera kind of in the bag most of the time at the hotel and um, didn't take it out much. I took it out a few times just for some nice scenic 
overviews and the Nile and, and different things like that. But if we were going walking, definitely the pyramids. I shot everything on my iPhone and, and that GoPro inside those pyramids. And that was it. After they sort of knew that you were a big camera guy causing trouble, were there, did you notice like, were they following you around or anything like that? Not really, because we would, um, we would just try to keep a low profile, get back in the Uber. And I shot a lot of stuff from the Uber window, you know, if we were shooting, just driving down the highway. Um, so you just try to keep a low profile as much as you can, and they would not really mess with you until you got to another location, and then you'd run into a bunch more cops. So we're at the museum, and I'm just I'm on property, and our the people we're with are in the museum um, touring. We couldn't go in and shoot anything, so I was just out on kind of their front area, their front entryway, just shooting some stuff um, up on the hillside, and they came out and told me that I couldn't do that and that I had to stop and you know I'm a news guy so I point the camera at them and I kind of mess with them a little bit I ended up putting the camera away I'm going to ask this question but I think I know the answer so the the person who you with the producer let's call that person had they been to Egypt before were they um you know handling or supposed to be handling logistics and you know, how did that all work out? Because it's, it sounds to me like they, they weren't familiar with the processes. They were not too familiar with the processes. And I think it's kind of a guessing game on having, knowing, going there once, figuring it out. And then if you go back again, you know what you're supposed to do. If I go back again, um, there, Africa, um, India, I hear is, is a really fun place. Um, I'm going to shoot everything on a DSLR and I'll take my little Sony a7S III and a little Rode plug-in microphone and I'll be as small and as quick as I can. You need to look like a tourist. You need to look like you're just Joe Blow with a camera there on vacation. And, uh, and then they don't mess with you. They're fine. Did you consider at all hiring a fixer? Was that ever brought up in conversation? So, yeah, they do hire fixers in Africa. Um, we just didn't think we needed one. Um, we probably should have went down that road, but that's the client to make that call and not me. Um, as a freelancer, I just kind of have to go along. I thought we were going to have more security and, and more stuff for the different people we were with. We didn't. It wasn't dangerous really at all, but it would have been nice to have somebody in country that, knows the speaker, knows how much money you give. How much money do you give? I don't know. Do you give them a $100 every time somebody, you're going to go through two or $3,000 for every time somebody comes up and gives you crap and you give them another 100 bucks, like to leave you alone, like you're going to spend some cash. Yeah, I've, I've had a few international jobs where we were traveling with a fair amount of gear and a fair amount of crew. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to have the budgets to hire local producers who in turn hired you know fixers and security and drivers and it does take a lot of the unknown out though i do remember connecting through uh china i don't know if that was uh beijing i did have a connector and my carry-on camera bag got stopped and they were quarantining it for some unknown reason. And I wasn't sure I was going to make my 
connection back to the U.S. with my uh, with my gear, but they did release it at the last minute and said, uh, "Okay, be on your way." And I've heard a lot of stories in Africa. They'll do that. They'll take your stuff. They mess with you for a little while. It could be you know forty five minutes to an hour. And sometimes you can give them a couple hundred bucks and you can be on your way or you sit and you play their game. And then pretty soon they'll decide that they're just going to give you your stuff back and then you can be on your way. To uh, continue the rest of your story. So you finish your shooting in Egypt. Uh, It sounds like it's mostly iPhone and GoPro with a little bit of your big professional camera where you could. And then, you know, pick up the story. What happens then? So we finish there, we leave Cairo, I go get my drone, because they took my drone away, you know, in the beginning, and they made that a big deal, and that was like a two-hour tour of the airport, talking to all the big honchos, and all the police department, and everybody, and I don't know Arabic, so there's somebody that followed me around that knew a little bit of English, and we got through it, and then when I went back, it cost me like $18, $15 or $18 American to get my drone back, which is kind of silly. Um, but it was like $350, $400 or 400, um, Egyptian pounds. Right. And so I get my drone back and, um, get back on the plane, um, go to, we land in Amman, Jordan. Um, that was a whole big, huge check fiasco trying to get through security. Our still photographer has one of those little air bubble balls that blow air to clean his sensors off for one of his cleaning kits. And um, they took that away because it's black. And what did it look like? A hand grenade. So (laughs) there's things in these countries that you don't realize that it looks like a hand grenade because it's just this black like bubble thing that, you know, blows air. And they take things away from you because you could, we were like, it blows air. Like the still photographer took it away from him. And he's like, look, it's just air. Like it's, it's hollow. They're like, yeah, but you could be on the plane and you could say, I'm taking this plane over. I have a hand grenade. And nobody's going to know that it's not a hand grenade. They're just going to think they're going to believe you because it's black and that's what it looks like. So they took that away. So we make it, we, I, they didn't mess with me. They just, they swap my cameras down for the bomb thing. They check it out. I'm good. They send me through and we made it to, um, Erbil, Iraq is where we went. And, um, it was fine. We get there. They didn't really like my drone, but it's not illegal. They just don't like them coming in. So the nonprofit that we were working with um, had a fixer guy, the PR guy, went and talked to customs. He called somebody with the government. Um, they were able to say, yeah, he's fine, because we were going to hook, to hook Iraq way out into the middle of nowhere where there's no airplanes, there's nothing going on, no airports to a refugee camp. And I really wanted to fly that refugee camp because it shows 2000 tents, you know, and how do you get that feeling of all those people there with without doing it from the air. And um, that was the main shot I wanted, but I also shot their citadel. They have a big citadel, like fort looking thing up on this hill that's like 6,000 years old. I was able to fly down there. There was four other drones flying around downtown when I was down there. So it was good. They just don't really care for Americans bringing in drones because they really want to try to control the situation. But I got in. I shot in the Citadel. There was a police department up in that Citadel. I walked by canine cops and other cops with my big camera. They were totally fine um, in Iraq. Big camera, tripod, didn't have to hide the GoPro. 
um, everything was good. And, and we got a great story out of Iraq. Cairo, you know, it turned out to be a good story, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not quite what I wanted, but it, it turned out to be fine. Did you take any steps like normally big production stuff when you're traveling internationally, you get a carnet, which says, this is my equipment, this is my insurance policy, uh, all this stuff belongs to me, and, and you know you can't make any claims against it. Did you do anything like that for your, your trip here? Not for this one. Um, I have gotten carnets in the past. This one was so fast that it was a four-day pre, you know, get ready, here we go, we're going next Tuesday. And so I didn't have a ton of time because I had some other clients that I needed to deal with and some editing, and I didn't get the carnet. But asking the the client I was working with, do you guys ever get carnets? They're like, no, we never do. I've had one time coming out of Canada where the Canadian customs guy asked me for a carnet and I didn't have it. But between, you know, Russia and Honduras and the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and all these places, one time, you know, in Canada, a guy asked me coming back and he was like, well, how do I know that you didn't buy all this stuff in, here in Canada? I'm like, I don't know. Yes, you're going to have to believe me. Look at my stuff. I've got dates on it. He's like, whatever. And he just sent it through because he didn't have time to deal with me. So carnets, it's like if everything disappeared and got stolen, I could probably show my insurance company the carnet and what I had and they would replace stuff. But I'm not sure if other countries really, it's a piece of paper with information on it, serial numbers, whatnot. I'm not sure how much those would really fly if they really care in Egypt. That's that's true, and that's where the fixer comes in. I've never done a carne only because they want a lot of money to process it, and it takes, like you say, a fair amount of lead time. What I learned, a little little tip on international travel is that you can go to the U.S. Customs Office before you leave the country and you fill out this form. I forget the number, but it's basically a um, personal property form and you list your equipment with the serial numbers. You go to the Customs Office, you show them the equipment and they stamp and date the form and says this was in your possession when you left the U.S., and then when you go, like we got to Budapest one time, even though we had the fixer, they wanted to charge us like a, uh, a tax to leave. And we were able to show them these custom and border forms. And I think between that and the fixer maybe paying them off, you know, we were able to get out without a hassle. But if we didn't have that, it probably would have cost us more money. And I think that's the key is – you have to have money. You have to pay people off. Everybody takes bribes. I have a feeling maybe people in the United States would take bribes, but we kind of have a lot of freedoms here. You know, if you feel like you don't have freedoms in the United States, go to another country. Go just travel to Canada. Go travel to some of these third world countries, and you're going to see people that do not have freedoms and that they're stuck with the government. And the government builds buildings in Cairo. Like, they live in shambles, like there's buildings falling down. And it's like, who's going to rebuild these buildings? Well, the government has to, you know, everything is about the government. And that's, you know, something that we're like, well, we're pretty free here in the United States. So how much government, you know, and then you 
it's a whole nother political talk art that you and I could have. <laughs> it, well, that's a whole nother conversation, I know. But boy, it, it really makes me feel thankful when I come back to the United States, the freedoms that I have and the things that I can do here in the United States is, is tenfold. Even walking out of the Salt Lake City Airport, I go through a one checkpoint. I'm TSA pre. I show them my bags. I don't take off my shoes. I don't take off my jacket. I blow right through. I'm on my plane. I went through, when you hit um, Istanbul, you go through, you've already been checked, right? Because you got on your plane in Iraq. I hit Istanbul. I went through a transfer point where I had to run all my bags through. And then the gate. I got to the gate. I showed a guy in the hallway at the gate my passport, my COVID card, and my COVID update, like my PCR test that I got, my COVID test that says I'm negative. Showed him that. Um, all the gates have windows on them. Um, so they're like little rooms. You walk through, I showed two more people, my passport, my vaccination card, and my PCR test. And then you walk down into the gate and I had to run my bag again at the gate. I had to run my bag through a checkpoint and then two more guys opened my bag. They opened my backpack. I had to turn on my laptop. I had to turn on my iPad. They scrubbed them all down, ran them in machines, checked, asked me if I was a professional videographer, who I was with this big camera, where I was going, what I was doing. And this is at the gate. There was six people before I got on the plane. And and that's true. And and I think one thing that I always try to remember is that when you're in another country, even if you don't agree with whatever their policies and politics are, you have to be respectful to whatever their way of doing things are because they can jam you up just on a on a whim. They absolutely can. It's their rules, their country, and you have to go you have to abide by them. Was there was there any point in this journey, it sounds like more of the Egypt side was the troublesome part, but was there any point where you're like, okay, I need to figure out plan C and D in case, you know, this doesn't turn around? Well, you're just hoping for your gear because you're there five days, you know, and you have a limited amount of time and then you got to get on an airplane and go back, go to another country. And so you're just hoping you can pull something off. Now it's like, what, what can I do next time on the next trip? I needed my wireless microphones. I probably could have pulled it off without a tripod, but I needed my wireless mics. I have a big shotgun. I probably could have got close enough to who we were talking to. It would have been fine, but it'd be nice to have my microphones or at least my stick mic because then I could plug my XLR cord in, use my stick mic. And that's probably what I'll do. Going from Cairo to Iraq, I did throw my stick mic in my bag and throw my my hardline cords in there and um at least i'd have a microphone that i could you know collect good clean audio instead of just the shotgun mic on my camera um so that next time i'll, I'll it, it definitely made me think about what i need to be taking with me in my in my possession to just get through a shoot if none of my stuff shows up and it's hard, too, when you're traveling with a small, either you or you and a producer, like a very small crew, because I have a little thing where I go through like, okay, how many carry-on bags do I need to bring? Because certain things need to be personally, you know, in the plane's cabin with me. And, okay, that's going to dictate the size of the crew, right? If I've got six carry bags and I've only got, you know, two people on the crew – 
doesn't work, right? Something is is not going to make it. So I so I've added PAs and things onto the crew just to bring carry-ons because you can't risk, right? The job is big enough where you it's not worth the risk of checking it and hoping it gets there. I've only had one other time where my lights didn't show up. Delta, I fly Delta all the time and Delta's fantastic and I've never had anything not show up. One time I had lights not show up and that's not a huge deal. You can take them outside, you can open a window, some curtains, you know, you can create your own lighting. So that wasn't a huge deal and I made it just fine with no light kit and it showed up like the day I was leaving, the morning I was leaving the the shoot my light kit showed up. Um, So that wasn't a huge deal, but yeah, it's a real bummer when you're trying to figure out it's like, I can't carry my tripod on. They're not going to let me check my tripod or carry it on. Like, where do I put it? How do I put it up? Because it's long. Um, there's things that is just not doable that you just pray are going to show up. And you need a camera and I need a microphone and I have my cards and I have my batteries and I, I have stuff. Like, I can pull it off with that um, with the bare minimums, but it really makes you think about what your bare minimums are and what you need. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story. Any... Uh any parting thoughts on uh, your your journey that uh, you've taken away from you? Um, parting thoughts is just basically pack what you need to get by a few days. Um, before we started this podcast, you were talking about like rental cars and, and having issues at, at hotels. I learned a trick um, with National. So you go into National or really any rental car. And they're low on cars, right? But at like Chicago O'Hare, they're going to have cars. Um, little maybe Nebraska, some place, some tiny little town in Wyoming might not have a bunch of cars. But if you go in and you book for two days, normally you're gone two or three days and they don't have any cars, try five days, try seven days, try nine days. I had to stretch one out even at Chicago O'Hare for seven days and oh look, they've got all kinds of cars. I ended up up in the parking garage and they had a whole parking garage full of cars. They want to try to rent them to you for long term, seven, nine days, but who's going to be gone for seven and nine days? We're renting them for one to three days. Well, they're not going to charge you more if you bring it back early. You just say, I'm done. Here's your car. Then they just charge you the usage, you know, the days that you used. So try that. Stretch it out a couple of days. See if there's cars. I bet you cars will show up and you'll be able to rent a car. That is a great tip. I haven't heard that one before, and I've heard mostly all of them. So thank you, and uh, I'm sure the, uh, the audience will take that one and write it down, store it away. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, you're certainly welcome back when you have other adventures to discuss and uh, we'll save the politics for a different podcast perhaps absolutely you're following me on uh, Facebook so uh, I throw my life out there you know so it's always fun you'll see the next journey I'm on because you know storytelling adventures are always a a fun thing to do how do people reach you if they want to reach you website Um, my company is webvideoimagery.com um, I'm at webvideoimagery at gmail.com, but you can visit my webpage and um, hit me up there. I have a way to contact me through the webpage. So there, awesome. or Darren Bailey on Facebook. I'm there too. So come be my friend. All right. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate your time. And thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot.
Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.